Pray with me. Lord Jesus, just as you fed your disciples that day, we, Lord, we pray that you would feed us the bread of life. Having been full, our lives might be changed. We might experience your glory and tell everyone that you indeed are the bread of life. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So have I told you about the story of a person who, of a soldier, uh, who in order to get out of going to war, uh, became a pastor? Have I told you that one before? You see, as a chaplain, we hear all kinds of things, and anytime it's near a time for deployment, uh, we get all kinds of crazy things. Uh, people are, have issues that, and that prevent them from uh, going to war. Uh, this particular soldier, uh, he said that he couldn't go to war because the Lord had called him uh, to be a pastor. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, I've got to admit up front uh, that that soldier uh, was me. That soldier indeed was me. I uh, was headed down uh, to get ready to deploy and go to Kuwait. I was in seminary at the time, and I was a young enlisted, uh, young enlisted soldier and military police officer and uh, getting ready to go. But because I was ordained and in seminary, I was not allowed to go. And so my friends, uh, I got back on the plane and my friends thought I was back home because I was afraid to go to war. But indeed, I was back home because the Lord had called me to be a pastor. And good thing I was there, though, uh, because it wasn't long after I got back to the base uh, there in Virginia Beach where I was stationed uh, that I got a phone call from my first sergeant. He called me and he said, hey, I need you uh, to come to the hospital time now. Beat feet, get here. I said, hey, Top, what's going on? First Sergeant, what's going on? He said, your platoon sar- sergeant, his son Kainoa was hit by a car. We need you to go and minister to the family. After all, I was the only ordained person still in the company. The real chaplain had already left and gone downrange with the, with the soldiers. So it was just me. And so I get to the hospital room, and in that hospital room, there was not much to be said. Parents needed to be comforted, and prayers needed to be prayed, but there wasn't much outside of that to, to do. I was sitting there, and, and really, all I could provide was the ministry of presence. There was nothing magical that I could say that was going to change the situation, I thought. So I sat, I listened, I prayed, I did what pastors do. Right before I got ready to leave, I grabbed their hands. And I remember praying for them, not that the Lord would help them get through this situation, though I believe he did, and absolutely that was part of the prayer. But more importantly, I began to pray that these people who I was ministering to, my platoon sergeant and his wife, that they would come to know Jesus Christ. That they would come to know Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this. That somehow, some way they would experience the love of Christ, that they would experience the reality of Christ and be drawn to him. You see, my platoon sergeant, he was a Buddhist, and his wife was a lapsed Catholic. So I thought it was very fitting that an Anglican priest came in there (laughs) and tried to tie it all together. This is what's happening in our gospel, in our our, letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. If you have your Bibles... Uh, your, your bulletins. I, I ask you to open uh, to in your bulletins or to, in your Bibles to the, the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the thirteenth, uh, or sorry, the third, ver- the third chapter. Excuse me. Paul 
Uh, we've been working through Ephesians the last few Sundays, about three now, and uh, Paul is at the, the end, of his, end of his ministry. He knows he's got more days uh, behind him than he does in front of him. And he is in prison, and so he's writing these letters to the people he loves, his church family, and he's instructing them and trying to give them one last bit of advice. Chapter 1, uh, we, see that, uh, we see that Paul unpacks God's plan for salvation. He lets everyone know that it is God's will that everyone is to be saved, and that in Christ, uh, God's plan was to unite everyone to himself. That it was God's plan to unite everyone to himself, that everyone, that all the nations of the world would be united in Christ. They would all be made one. Chapter 2, he addresses, uh, he addresses the Gentile Christians. These Gentile Christians were not Jews. And so uh, Jews at the time were known as the promised people of God. You know that. Uh, Gentiles was every, were everyone else that were cut off from the promises of God. Those who were not descendants of, of Abraham and were not able to obtain the promise of God. Paul is letting those Gentiles know that indeed Christ has engrafted them and made them a part of the covenant. We see in... We see in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 19, he says, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. He tells them that their plan, God's plan, is that they grow together and become a holy temple, a holy people, and represent the glory of God, his character and his likeness. He goes on. Paul says, this is, this is what I've, I've been called to do. Verse 3, chapter, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6. He says, this is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promises of Jesus Christ through the gospel. This is the mystery that he has received in his latter days, and he has poured his entire life into this, wanting to make this mystery known. Going forward in verse number 8, he says, to me, uh, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that is hidden for ages in, in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This, is, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Jesus Christ our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What is he saying? Paul is saying, Christ called me to preach to the Gentiles, those who were separated, not a part of the promises of God, and let them know that because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, they too are a part of this covenant. That's his whole preaching ministry. That was his message, to bring everyone into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everyone has access, and Paul doesn't want anyone who he's writing to to live beneath their access level, to live beneath their privilege. He wants everyone to be able to go boldly before the throne of grace and pray and obtain that which they need from the Lord. But here, uh, in chapter 3, starting at verse 4, 14, Paul does what every pastor does. Before he goes, he prays for them slows down, he takes a minute, and he prays. Not that they would, would uh, get through their struggles and all those things, 
but that they might know Jesus Christ. Sure, they were persecuted. Sure, they had challenges. But that's not the prayer he prayed. He prays that they might know Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, For this reason, I bow, down, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being. Why? Why do they need strength? Why do they need strength? So that Christ may dwell in their hearts, number one. And number two, that they, have, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that, passes, that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, Paul recognizes that if they're going to know Christ, and if they're going to know who he is, they can't get that through natural knowledge, but they need their faith strengthened. And having their, the, the eyes of their faith enlightened, they would see God. And that having the strength to see God and to see him as he is, they might begin to know who he is. They might understand that Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, died for them. He is the the theanthropos, the God-man, so much God, so much man that he died after being beaten all night long. So much God that he got himself up by his own power. This is who they who Paul wants them to know. This Jesus, this Jesus whom they have through whom they have access to the Father. He wants them to know the riches of Christ of Christ's love for them and the glory of God. How how do they know that? How can they know that? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, for Paul, the thing that is worth dying for. This is his last, if he had anything else to say, uh, this is his last breath. This is the last thing that would be on his lips, that they might know Christ. This is the thing that Paul holds most dear. He is educated, very educated. He did a lot of things. He was very successful. Everything he did, every city he went to, churches sprang forth. Many, many people came to the Lord. But he says, the numbers are great. The, the, the grandchildren and all those things that I have in the gospel, that's wonderful. But what good is it if they actually don't know the Lord? Go with me in your Bibles uh, to uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. A few Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, having no, right, having no righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Here's the part, that I may know him power of his resurrection, that I might share in his suffering and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. That's the goal of Paul's life. 
That's the goal of his ministry, that he might know Christ. Not that he might count on Christ to get him through the sufferings and all of that stuff, but that he might know who Christ is. Knowing who Christ is, he might know the glory of God the Father. He might experience the depth, the breadth, and the love of God. And then having experienced that, that it might not only change him, but it is the power that, in, that he is using to change the world. Knowing Christ is the reason that Paul is so, so successful, that he has been so successful in all the places that he's planted churches. Knowing Christ is, is what has given him the ability to do all the things that he has done. And he, comes to the, he comes to the Ephesian church and he's saying, hey, my time is short. But I want to make sure, before I go, that you know Jesus Christ. That you know who he is. That you know the depths of his love. Do you know that, that his love is being made a reality in your life? I think about us. I think about this church. I think about Father Joe and his vision for the church and what he would love to see happen. It's not that this church would grow and, and, and burst at the seams and, and all of that stuff. That's all well and good. But I think Father Joe's real vision for this church is that every member of this church would come to know Jesus Christ. That they would not live beneath their privilege. That they would experience God and, and regularly access all of the blessings that he has. Not so that they could get blessed or be blessed. Not so that God could fix the things that they were having trouble with and all of that stuff. But so that they might know Christ. And having known Christ, they might experience the fullness of God. That they might be that we might be what God intended us to be. More Christian, more human, more fully like him. You see, in the garden, God gave his image to Adam and Eve in the garden. Sin messed that up. But Jesus Christ came into the world to restore that image. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, came to restore not only the relationship but to, but to, if you will, to, to get rid of the smudges that mar the image of God in our lives. It's like cleaning up a dirty mirror. If you've done some spring cleaning, you know the mirror gets dusty and dirty. You spray some Windex on it and you wipe it and you begin to see more clearly in the mirror. That's what Jesus' blood has done to our lives. It cleans us up and the more blood we apply and the more we use the Holy Spirit and the more we, we live in God and we move the image of God becomes more and more clear in our lives. And we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That was my prayer in the hospital room. That these people would get to know, that that sergeant would get to know Jesus Christ. That's Paul's prayer in this text. That he, that the, people, the Ephesians church, the Gentiles there, would, live, would not live beneath their privilege, but they would access God. And they would get to know him in a real, intangible way. And I'll tell you, after having many conversations with the rector, that is his prayer for this church. That every member would get to know God. The image of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would be refined in you. And that we would leave this place and go into the world and testify about what happens here. The scriptures say, I said it over and over again, I use this verse over and over again, let our light so shine before men 
that men would see our good works and glorify and want to glorify our Father in heaven. That's what Paul is praying here, that we would be refined, that we would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be refined and cleaned up. The image of God would be revealed in us. So that way, when we leave this church, men and women, boys and girls, would see the light of Christ shining in us and be drawn to him. You see, this fills, fulfills the, the mission of God. Paul says in chapter 1 that it is God's will that everyone would be saved. And this is where we participate in it. Through our good works, yes. Through our, our, our witnessing, yes. But more than, more than people see our good works, more than, than people uh, uh, hear our messages of witnessing and preaching and evangelizing and knocking on doors, more people are paying attention to the way you live your life. St. Paul says our lives are living epistles read by all men. I said this again last week, and I think it's worth repeating. Our lives are living epistles read by all men. When someone opens up the pages of your life, of my life, Father Joe's life, what will they read? Paul is saying, I hope that they read that you know Jesus Christ. That your, your biblical biography, your biographical information and all that stuff is wonderful. But I hope at the end of the day, the thesis of your life, the thesis of what we found in those pages will testify that you know Jesus Christ. Having known Jesus Christ, you participated with God and made him known, made Jesus Christ known throughout all the world. I pray that that is a reality in our lives. Not only that we know Christ, but that through knowing Christ, we might experience his love. And having experienced his love, we would share his love and the knowledge of his son with everyone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.